Hello, and welcome to the Wonkavator Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. So the candidates, Clinton and Trump, uh, just had something like a debate. In many ways, it's better than a debate. In a few ways, it's worse. It was the Commander-in-Chief Forum, which is where they each got half an hour with Matt Lauer and an audience of veterans to discuss foreign policy. And I, I like these forums a lot better than debates. Debates generally in this day and age kind of devolve into noise, whereas these forums, or fora if you prefer, allow for a longer discussion, allow for the moderator to press on certain points. And so I'll focus on that for the bulk of the episode. First, I wanted to just check in on the polls and the frightening state of our union Trump is not winning. Clinton is still winning. If the election were today, it's very likely that Clinton would win. But it's closer than rational people can feel comfortable with right now. Um, If you average all the polls, Clinton's probably winning by three or four points. And maybe that edge gets a little bit extended when you look mostly at swing states. Uh, Trump would still have to win something like Pennsylvania or Wisconsin to actually pull off a victory, as well as every state where he's doing better than he is in those states, which is stuff like Ohio and Florida and Iowa. He's probably going to win Ohio because Iowa is super, super white. And this is an election where Trump is going to do well in states that are super, super white. Anyway, the the polls... uh, uh, few weeks ago, it was Clinton and a slam dunk. It was more, you know, people were talking about, okay, Clinton's going to win, she's probably going to take the Senate, and maybe she's going to take the House. Now it's probably Clinton's going to win. I'm having my doubts about the Senate, and the House looks as out of reach as ever. Thank you, gerrymandering. And what's keeping me calm-ish through this current storm is that there is... There's a moment like this in every election where it looks like the other candidate could win. The one that you're pretty sure is not going to win might win. So in 2012, that was after the first debate. Obama wasn't prepared for that debate, was totally off his game, and had a terrible debate. And it looked like Mitt Romney might win the election after that. In 2008, weirdly, can you guess what moment it was? Think McCain, Palin, Obama, Biden, hope and change, that whole thing. The moment when McCain was leading in the polls for a hot second was after he picked Sarah Palin. And that kind of lingered for a little bit. And then Sarah Palin finally did a couple interviews. (laughs) Everyone who was paying attention was like, oh, she doesn't really know anything. And Donald Trump is kind of the more polished version of Sarah Palin where he he doesn't know about policy. Like, ask him about, you know, I, I threw out the example of charter schools last time. Take any, like, second or third level policy discussion and ask for his actual opinions and see if they line up with anything that anyone in those worlds actually thinks about. And yet, he's kind of glossed over that. So there's always these moments where it's like, oh, wait, what if the other candidate wins? And, And that doesn't mean that they were never going to win. But this is how I'm consoling myself through some polls that are trending in the wrong direction right now. Obama's approval rating is still good. Trump still doesn't have a a ground game to speak of, really. He's basically borrowing the Republican 
parties ground game. Uh, his a lot of donors are focusing on the Senate and the House, which is maybe why Republican Senate polls are are looking fine for them right now. And uh, so the, there are. It, it's still probably Clinton's going to win this thing. But it's been sort of a weird week for that stuff. Also, Hillary Clinton now has pneumonia, which is fine, probably. Hopefully it's not a long-lasting thing. Um, but there's also this ongoing conspiracy theory that Hillary Clinton has some kind of serious health problem. Uh, Parkinson's is the one I've heard like described from whoever is translating these very far-right conspiracy theory websites. I'm sure there's plenty more. But yeah, Clinton suddenly getting pneumonia, obviously, is just going to play into that, even though, obviously, Parkinson's and pneumonia have nothing to do with each other, other than they both start with P, and are long and serious. Okay, moving on to the Commander-in-Chief Forum. So this um, was a format where each candidate got half an hour with Matt Lauer of NBC, and they would occasionally kick it over to one of the veterans in the audience, And they did a pretty good job of spreading out the questions between Republicans, Democrats, independents, and so forth. So the first thing I noticed watching this is that Hillary Clinton was visibly careful in answering questions, especially around her emails. And uh, I don't think she got a Benghazi question, but stuff around Libya and Syria, she was just very carefully picking her words, which is fine. I I don't need a president who just delivers really snappy lines off the cuff. This does not actually help with the act of governing the world's most powerful country, for the most part. It helps once in a while. Mostly it just helps you look good in formats like this. Uh, The email stuff she got a few questions on, and yet there wasn't ever really a contextualizing of the issue. Most of the information that you need kind of came out through multiple questions, but one issue I had with how the whole thing was conducted was they didn't feel like they had enough time to really explain an issue, mostly just kind of make reference to it and then ask a question about it. And so probably the toughest question that Clinton got during this whole thing was... um, that James, you know, it came up that James Comey, head of the FBI, said that it's entirely possible that Hillary Clinton's email system was hacked while uh, she was traveling in countries that don't have particularly favorable relationships with the United States. And her response was, well, anything was possible, but there's no evidence my system was hacked, which is a good response. It's a slick political response and one where if I'm a not super informed voter, be like, well, okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, and it's true that there is no evidence that her system was hacked. However, it doesn't take away from the fact that she was being very irresponsible as Secretary of State to have a, uh, a private email server in countries where there's already this infrastructure to hack everyone's emails. So I've talked about all this stuff before, but I I feel like stuff like that should come out. As long as we're talking about these issues, as long as we've deemed it important, this whole Hillary Clinton email thing, as long as that's worth, I I think, like three questions in a half hour format, it was at least two. 
as long as it's worth that number of questions, we might as well have that context. And obviously I'm going to have some more to say about this on the Trump end of things. Uh, Clinton also, there is a question about her vote for the Iraq war and she just kind of turned that into a spiral of various talking points that mostly had nothing to do with the Iraq war and had a little bit to do about how she knows a lot about foreign policy and how Donald Trump has said a lot of horrible things. So it was, it was not the, the slickest moment for her, but I thought she did a decent job of parrying away questions that really speak to her weaknesses. Foreign policy is a really interesting issue in this election because it should be a total strength for Hillary Clinton. She really knows her foreign policy, but her most uh, famous public mistakes, if you want to call them that, issues, problematic things that she has done relate to foreign policy. The Iraq War, for one, the intervention in Libya, and uh, the whole Benghazi thing, though thankfully we're not talking about that so much. Her private email server as Secretary of State certainly relates to foreign policy in some way. So she's got all these liabilities. So she tries to kind of just bat those away while dropping a bunch of details that shows that she knows what she's talking about. And that that is kind of what I always come back to with Hillary Clinton on foreign policy is that I disagree with her on a lot of what she's done. She does seem to have a more hawkish stance. and There was a question about that. And she said, I'll always consider war to be a last resort. I don't totally believe that. If we had her versus someone who I could conceivably vote for in any kind of universe, I, I all of these things would be really weighing heavily on me in terms of whether I wanted to vote for Hillary Clinton. As it is, I'm totally voting for Hillary Clinton. There's absolutely no way I'm voting for Donald Trump. He's completely unqualified and a crazy person. I feel like that it should end there. Hillary Clinton, I have a lot of issues with, but I feel like she is probably as qualified as anyone else in the world for the job. All right, so Trump got a lot of good pointed questions on, on things that he should be asked about. And he said a lot of stuff. Again, I feel like this format, the, the half an hour with the candidate format, is great for really trying to pin them down on stuff. As much as you can ever do that with a presidential candidate that knows you have limited time and can just run up the clock on a question without ever truly answering it. So uh, at one point he was asked about something, something, Hispanics, Mexico, something like that. And <laughs> clearly I took really good notes for this one. And his answer was that his, his trip to Mexico was a huge success. Therefore, you know, I have good relations with, with Mexico. I can, I can relate to our neighbor. Don't worry about me in Mexico. In fact, my trip was such a success that the people that arranged the trip have been forced out of government. And that line was not interrogated or explained or and I had to I think I ended up googling something like Trump Mexico forced out of government and there was in fact uh, someone a high level official finance minister Luis Videgaray resigned due to that trip 
And the reason he resigned was that trip was has become such a political liability to Mexican President uh, Enrique Peña Nieto. And so that's a weird thing to call a success. I, I know you, you want to have a takeaway, a tangible thing. And basically the one tangible thing from that trip was that the Mexican president did not publicly insult Trump. He did tweet that there's no way they're paying for the wall. Trump said they didn't discuss who would pay for the wall. Basically, the whole story with that trip was Trump went to Mexico and came back and nothing terrible happened. And that was considered a win for Trump. It was a win for Trump because, you know, low bar for Trump in Mexico. But apparently the... Mexican people didn't like the fact that Trump came to Mexico and came back and didn't really have to answer for anything. And and so it's become a, a big political hit for their president. And so that led to the finance minister resigning for reasons that I'm sure make sense to someone. I don't know the first thing about Mexican politics, so I won't go into that one. But so that, that was bizarre answer number one. Uh, there was one what I thought was basically an obvious lie. It's not a lie where you can truly prove him wrong, but he was asked about his, uh, his intelligence briefing. So just one of the weird facts of life right now is that Donald Trump is receiving periodic intelligence briefings from like government officials as, as someone who might assume the office of president. And he was asked if anything surprised him during that intelligence briefing. Or he was also asked if anything would change his policies or make him, made him see the world differently, and he said no. But what, what apparently truly took Trump by surprise was that he said the that Obama was doing the opposite of what the generals said they should do, of what, you know, the Obama administration's whole plan, whole foreign policy is the opposite of what foreign advisors have been telling him. And I'm pretty sure this is just a lie. Not that I, I don't think Obama's had disagreements with his his foreign advisors. I'm sure he has, you know, over the course of an eight-year presidency. But I, I just seriously doubt when you get an intelligence briefing, the things they focus on are past things that could have happened differently had the president taken certain people's advice. That seems like not at all relevant or something that Trump needs to know. And and again, this was not really pressed on. It, it's, it's, you know, happens in a private room and the whole thing's confidential by nature. So it's not something where you can really easily pin him down. He also said he's really good with body language. And he basically implied that the people who were talking to him during this briefing were not necessarily saying that they didn't like Obama, but he could see it in their faces and their bodies that they were really mad at Obama about something. Who knows what? Because he's making this up. So it's it's nothing is the actual answer. But it was just this totally silly thing that he said that it's we've gotten so used to Trump that something like that is like, okay, he just said another like medium crazy thing. We, we've got a much bigger pile of even crazier things to deal with without even dealing with that one. So moving on, I guess. And it, it struck me that one thing that's difficult about, about covering Trump for the media 
is sometimes you're stuck in these situations where you either have to call him a liar or an, an immoral person or someone who is racist or uh, sexist. You either just have to call it out or kind of describe it in hope that the reader gets what you're saying. Uh, and this really uh, hit home for me in, in the last little nugget I want to talk about. Matt Lauer brought out a tweet from 2013 uh, they were talking about sexual assaults in the military. This was, was could have been the best moment of the forum, as far as I was concerned. And, and the tweet reads as follows. For, this is from Donald Trump. 26,000 unreported sexual assaults, only 238 convictions. What did these geniuses expect when they put men and women together? That was the tweet. So it, start, it starts out like, oh, okay, yeah, he's he's calling out the military for not... Uh, not not dealing with their sexual assault problem, and his his conclusion from this is that men can't control themselves, and we shouldn't expect them to. You should just not put men and women in the same room. I guess is like I mean you know if you're Donald Trump, I, I think there's ample evidence that. Donald Trump should not be left alone with with women who don't want to be sexually assaulted by Donald Trump, if you believe certain allegations. And Matt Lauer kind of pressed him on this, and because, especially because Trump's response was like, well, that was a correct tweet. And what he means is correct in there is that the statistics are correct, and I have no particular reason to doubt them. And then he kind of veers off into a different point, which is that if you do something bad, there should be consequences. That's true. And yes, those statistics are horrifying, and it's good that he points them out. But his conclusion was that men can't police themselves, and you should just keep women physically away from them, and that men should just go do the men things, and women should go do something else. And had Matt Lauer just added that extra, very straightforward implication of his statement... That pins Trump down into something that he said and implied and clearly implied. This isn't like some, you know, I think there's no way out of that implication for Trump. And that's all it would have taken for him to not really be able to wriggle out of that answer, I think. And that brings me to one more point, which is that I find that this, the, the way this forum is done it doesn't really test your knowledge or your understanding of foreign policy or whether you see foreign policy the way the rest of the country sees foreign policy. It largely uh, tests how good you are at wriggling out of kind of uncomfortable questions. Because you know, there were uh, a lot of discussion of politically sensitive things that, uh, that both these candidates have. So for Hillary, again, that's you know email, that's uh, Syria and Libya, you know some of the the higher profile things as Secretary of State that she did. For Trump, that's his relationship with Mexico. That's that, that terrible tweet. Uh, his bromance with Putin. Uh, but here are things that were not discussed at the Commander Chief Forum: Europe, Asia, Africa, and I guess if we want to throw in the other continents, Australia and Antarctica. The only region that was discussed was the Middle East. You know, the VA came up with each candidate, but 
I feel like it's a totally fair question. In addition to these kind of pointed, how can you break out of this political mistake that you made or policy mistake that is now a political issue for you, there should just be stuff like, what do you think about our relationship with Europe? How should it be different? How, how should things change now that Brexit happened or will eventually actually happen? Yeah, I feel like open-ended questions that will both test your knowledge and force you to interpret uh, major policy stuff around the world, that should be fair game. Maybe I'm biased around this because I feel like that would play into Clinton's wheelhouse and they want her to win the election and play away from Trump's wheelhouse. Though I guess Trump in open-endedness, you know, he, he knows how to deal with that just fine. Anyway, I think candidates should be held accountable for terrible things that they've done and said. I also feel like you, they should just have time to kind of air out on how they see the world. Because that's way more important than uh, Hillary Clinton's email servers or even horrible tweets that Donald Trump has sent in the last five years. That stuff kind of draws out who they are and how they act, and that's obviously important. But but what actually is going to matter when they're president is like how they see the regions. And with foreign policy, the, the president's understanding and approach, you could argue, has... Um, you has a more direct effect than their ideas around domestic policy because domestic policy generally has to go through Congress and Congress is just like a a giant pile of of wet cement that's like miles long and a policy is like a it's like a grasshopper trying to get through the cement and they have to like find a way on top of it or maybe they're like so light they don't even sink in those sorts of grasshoppers might make it to the end, like around like a sea of frogs who are trying to eat them. I don't know what the frogs are in the metaphor. It, but uh, suffice to say that uh, most of that, it, like the, the foreign policy policies go through a different obstacle course, but it's largely within the administration. And it's only the stuff that has to go through Congress, like, you know, the TPP and going to war, except not really going to war. These days you can just kind of go to war when you feel like it. One, I'd say, positive takeaway from the Commander-in-Chief Forum is that there's been a lot of criticism of Matt Lauer, both from like both partisan sources and less partisan sources. And hopefully that means that future moderators will try to pin these candidates down on something. I don't think anyone's going to go for the, the open-ended idea like, Europe, go. Asia, discuss. I think that would be fun. It's not going to happen. But maybe there will be uh, another layer of follow-up questions, a, a greater attempt to actually make them answer for some of the stuff. And we have about um, 60 days to go-ish. I think we, we might even be below 60. High 50s. The end is kind of in sight. When, when I worked on the Obama campaign in 2008... Early September did not feel like the end was in sight at all. But as a distant observer, as a guy who talks into a microphone about all this stuff, uh, I feel like this election is eventually going to happen. And unless time kind of asymptotes into nothingness, in the first week of November, it will in fact happen. In the meantime, thank you for listening to the Wonka Vitter podcast. 
It's been a, a joy speaking to you guys. Please tell your friends and have a good day.